them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scriptures cannot be broken. Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Now, what Jesus is doing here is giving a, a, rebut, a rebuttal. It's a, it was a rabbinic form of argument that some um, people misunderstand, especially religions who claim to be Christian, like, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses and so on. Now, they claim that what Jesus is doing here is toning down his claim of deity by showing that the term, quote, God's little g, God's, can legitimately be used of men in certain ways. So that's why Jesus, a man, can be called the Son of God. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. Because Jesus is, he's not, he's not claiming deity. He's showing that even a man can be called the Son of God. But if Jesus had been toning down his claim to deity with the Jews, the Jews would not have tried to seize him and kill him again. If, they, if Jesus was toning all of that down and not claiming to be the Son of God, the Jews wouldn't have reacted the way that they did again to take him. So, what is actually happening here is that Jesus is quoting from Psalm 82. And Psalm 82 condemns the corrupt judges in Israel. Psalm 82.1 says, it's a psalm of Asaph, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked, Selah? All right, so God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? What this was was a rebuke to corrupt judges in Israel. You remember that the nation of Israel didn't always have a king. They were ruled by judges at various times. Also, they had a form of government or a system of, of governing that was, was given and ruled by judges. And the proper role of those judges would have been to act in the place of God or under the authority of God in the administration of justice for everyday life. For example, go to Exodus 22 with me. Exodus chapter 22. You look at verse 7, Exodus 22 in verse 7, the Bible says, If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of the man's house, if the thief be found, let him pay double. If the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall be brought unto the judges to see whether he have put his hand unto his neighbor's goods. For all manner of trespass, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, or for any manner of lost thing, which another challengeth to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges. And whom the judges shall condemn, 
he shall pay double unto his neighbor. And so here's, here's an exactly what this is talking about. These judges were little g gods. Psalm 82 says that God is the one who's above them, and he judgeth among the gods. And then there's the rebuke to those corrupt judges that, that said, <coughs> excuse me, how long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? So the judges in their proper role should have acted in the place of God, under God's authority in the administration of justice. And the psalmist referred to them as little g-gods, not because they were divine in some sense, but because they were to be acting for God, as representatives of God, in their role as judges. So God set out the order for the nation of Israel of how they should live. If there was a problem with that, then those things need to come before the judges. And as the judge rules, so it is. Okay? So, let's get back to our text. Jesus' argument here is from the lesser to the greater. And what that means, in other words, if mere men can be called gods because of their position as judges, then how much more should I, whom the Father has sanctified or set apart and sent into this world, be called the Son of God? In your own law, in your own record, if a mere man can be called a little g-god, then, then listen, my argument is from the lesser to the greater. How much more should I, who is set apart by God the Father for a particular purpose and sent into this world, how much more should I be called the Son of God? He wasn't dumbing down or toning down his claim of deity at all. One commentator notes this. Jesus is not classing himself among men here. He is separating and distinguishing himself from men. So both here and consistently throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus reveals that he is God, and these Jews understood exactly what he was saying. Now I want you to also note, go back to our text, verse 35. This is also... something that needs to be made note of in John 10, as soon as I get there, verse 35. Look at the second part of verse 35. And he called them gods unto whom the word of God came. And the scripture cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be broken. Literally, that means the scripture cannot be abrogated. It cannot be disannulled. And what he's doing is, in applying Psalm 82 to them, which was the corrupt judges, Jesus is reminding them, listen, you can't ignore this. You can't ignore the Scriptures. Therefore, you cannot ignore me. The Scriptures cannot be broken. And that brings us to the next point. Because I want you to look at verse 37 and verse 38. And we see divine grace and we see divine mercy in spite of human depravity. Verse 37, Jesus says, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe me not, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. I want you to note the divine grace and mercy here. 
Because I want to draw your attention, especially to the second part of verse 38. Jesus said to them, listen, you, if nothing else, believe the works. Believe the works. Why? Why? That ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Listen, essentially, essentially what's happening here is that in spite of all the fact that they wanted to kill him, in spite of their continual rejection of Jesus Christ, Jesus is still extending them an opportunity to be saved. He's pleading with them, in fact, that they would believe. In spite of all that they had said and done already. He's like, believe the works. Why? So that, listen, in, in believing uh, that you, you, might, you might believe in that, 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 that I am in the Father and He's in me. And, and then listen, I am the Messiah. He's still pleading with them to believe. I, I don't know if I'm getting this point across here to you. This is absolutely a picture of the divine grace and mercy of God being extended to them. Jesus says, look, if, if I don't do the works of God, then don't believe me. But if I am doing the works of God, you cannot ignore this. The Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity with God. Human depravity and the deceptiveness of the human heart is never more seen than when God is mercifully and graciously calling out to a lost soul, but men continue to refuse to see and admit and respond. Consider how gracious God is. Consider what Christ endured. When He came into this world in infancy, when Christ came into this world, immediately there was an attempt to kill Him. Psalm 88 and verse 15, which is a messianic psalm, says, I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. What happened when Jesus came into this world? There was an immediate attempt to kill him. The one that's born king of the Jews. The first words that were spoken by Jesus Christ in his ministry was in a synagogue in Nazareth. After those words, immediately there was an attempt to kill him. Luke chapter 4 records it in verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. Those were the first words of Jesus' ministry in a synagogue in Nazareth. And immediately there was an attempt to kill him. And from that point on, from there to the cross, his entire life was dogged by foes who thirsted for his blood. Everywhere he went, everything he did, though it was good, people wanted to kill him. And listen, it is beyond comprehension that the grace of God to us is bestowed and given that He would allow His Son to live in a world of such rebels who want to kill Him. Divine is the forbearance and mercy of God to let Christ endure such contradiction of sinners against Himself so that you and I could be saved. But oh, how it highlights for us the enmity and hatred and the depravity of even those today 
How it highlights the grace and the mercy of God to continue to give a chance to be saved Sunday after Sunday, day after day that you live. If you're not saved and you've heard the gospel, God is extending grace and mercy to you. Even after all of their rejection, Jesus still said, Consider this and believe in me. But you and I are no different. He died on a cross, He shed His blood to just as wicked, for just as wicked, vile, undeserving sinners. How many times did I reject God as he was calling me? How many times did I say, no, I don't want to submit. I don't want to believe. I don't want to yield. I want to control my own life. I want to do my own thing. How many times could I have gone out into eternity lost? And yet God mercifully reached out again. I would say this. Number one, do you know for sure you're saved? I didn't say, do you have a profession? I said, do you know for sure you're saved? Because churches are full of people who have professions, who put on a show, who try to convince everybody else that they're saved. But in their heart, the Spirit of God is still pulling, still tugging. And week after week, they say no. Week after week, they don't want to admit what they really are. Week after week, they reject God. And yet God continues to be merciful and gracious. But then that leads us to the last verses, verses 39 to 42. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hands. So they, they rejected him again, even after Jesus said, listen, listen, you've got to consider this. You've got to believe in me. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, had first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle. But all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. Here we find <coughs> lost opportunity. Human depravity, a picture of divine grace and mercy. But then we consider here the lost opportunity. Notice how the Bible says that they sought to take him again. They rejected him again, and their rejection led to their lost opportunity. Verse 40 says that he went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. The Bible says he went away beyond Jordan. He left Jerusalem. And what this does, and as we, as we trace this out, this signals the end of Jesus' public ministry right here. And he left Jerusalem. 
to go beyond Jordan where John first baptized, and there he abode. And Jesus would not return again until it was time for him to lay down his life as the Lamb of God. He wouldn't come back again. And his public ministry in front of them was over at this point. The nation as a whole had rejected Jesus. John 1.12, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And they rejected him again. One more time, and now they would be left to suffer the due and just reward of their iniquity. I think that's powerful. Hear their opportunity to see the Son of God and to interact with Him and to believe on Him. It seems to be over. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God's Spirit will not always strive with man. And it means that God graciously draws men to Himself so that we see what we are, that we're deserving of wrath. And we, in turn, once we understand that, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith so that we can be saved. But God's Spirit's not always going to do that. God's Spirit's not always going to strive with men to try to draw to Himself so that we see what we are in deserving wrath. God's Spirit won't always do that because the one who continues to reject Him is eventually going to see the day when God stops calling. He'll no more have opportunity to believe because he or she has rejected the mercy of God for the last time. Now, I don't know how many times that's played out in human history, but I know it has. And everybody's situation and experience is different. I can't speak for other people, but you know what? I know in my own soul when God was drawing me and I had rejected Him and rejected Him and rejected Him and God still extended mercy to me, I distinctly remember having the sense or the feeling. And I don't say this to be dramatic. This is true. I distinctly remember having the sense or the feeling like it was coming from God that this is your last chance, buddy. I had rejected God so much. But as God began to open up my understanding, began to see the emptiness of my life and beginning to see how much I deserve the judgment of God, I was afraid. I was afraid. I'm in trouble with God. And if I don't respond to Him right now when He's calling, I'm not going to get another chance. I don't say that to be dramatic. That's truthful. That's for me. I don't know about you and your situation. But I know that the Bible says that God's Spirit won't always strive. And there comes, there's, a, there's, a, there's an unpardonable and unforgivable sin. And that sin, I believe, is, is, is final rebellion and rejection of God in His merciful offer. He cannot save someone who won't believe. He just won't. I would say this to you as John concludes this section here. 
that these people probably lost their opportunity. Jesus didn't go back again. He went beyond Jordan. He abode there. But there is a good part. As you get to verse 41, and as John concludes this section, he says, And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. Many believed on him there. So, so as Jesus' public ministry is concluding here, John reports that Jesus left Jerusalem. He went beyond the Jordan River where John was first baptizing. And by this time, John had been executed. He was gone from this earth. But the effects of John's ministry still lingered on. Because we read in verses 41 and 42 that these people had been influenced by John the Baptist. They said John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. And so people believed on Jesus there. And note that John had never performed any miracles. John had never performed any miracles, but he testified faithfully to the truth about Jesus, that he was the Lamb of God. The result was that even after John was beheaded and gone, these people in this region believed John's testimony, and through him they came to believe on Jesus Christ. Now, to me, there's a great encouragement there. And there's an application and some lessons for us. There's a few practical lessons and some encouragement here for us. First of all, listen, when it comes to you and me, we may never live to see how God uses our witness or all the ways in which God may use our witness. We may never live to see that. We may not live to see how impactful our life has been on somebody else. But here's the truth. You should faithfully still try to point people to Jesus Christ anyway. Because you don't know how effective your witness and testimony will be. John testified of Jesus Christ even though he didn't do any miracles. John is dead and gone. But the effect of his ministry lingered on. John didn't live to see these people come to faith in Christ, but his witness was a key factor in their faith. That encourages me. Keep sowing the seed. Keep being a witness for Christ. The second lesson we learn is how hard the human heart is apart from God's grace. These Jewish leaders had more than sufficient reasons to believe on Jesus Christ but they still were intent on murdering the Lord. And here's the application. Listen, when you get an opportunity to tell people about Jesus Christ, pray that God would soften their heart and open up their blind eyes. Because apart from the grace of God, the human heart, it's cold as ice, hard as stone. So when you get an opportunity to tell people about the Lord, pray that God will soften their heart, open up their heart, open their blind eyes. And sometimes we need to pray that for professing Christian people. But finally, 
But third lesson is this. If some reject your witness, don't give up. Don't give up. When John testified of Christ initially, these people didn't get saved. But later on, they said all the things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him there. Later on, they were saved. If someone rejects your witness, don't give up. Sometimes the seeds fall on stony ground. Sometimes it doesn't even sprout. Sometimes other seed uh, will sprout, but it quickly dies because it has no root. Sometimes the seed gets choked out by the weeds and the cares of this life. But listen, some seed bears fruit to eternal life. Don't stop sowing the seed, is what I'm saying. Because there is good soil out there. And it's going to bring forth fruit. Keep sowing the seed. Keep pointing people to Jesus Christ. You don't know how the Lord can use your witness. So there's lots of applications here. First of all, for the unsaved. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't reject God's grace and God's mercy. But for the saved, be like John the Baptist. Keep sowing the seed. You don't know how the Lord can use your witness and your testimony. Amen? There's some encouragement here that we have. Let's ask the Lord to accomplish His will here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would, as we close this service, Lord, that You would continue to draw to Yourself. And I do pray for the lost, that there would be humble submission before the Lord today, not like the Pharisees who, even at the pleading of Jesus Christ, rejected Him again. And how many of those who had such opportunity then are in the flames of hell today wishing that they had responded when they had the chance. But we're also thankful for those in a different region who believed on Jesus Christ because of the faithful testimony of John the Baptist even though he didn't live to see them come to Christ. What he had said, his testifying, all that he had said of this man was true. And many believed on him there. Thankful for that record because it gives encouragement to God's people today to keep sowing seed, keep trusting the Lord, keep praying for God to open up hard hearts and blind eyes. So Lord, I pray that you would use these thoughts today to accomplish your will. And there are some today who profess that they know God, but in their works they deny Him. In the life that they live that nobody sees, they deny Him. Lord, I pray that they would admit what they are today and receive the gift of God and humble themselves before the Lord today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.